Welcome to the Sugar Freedom Show. I'm your host, Katherine Gordon. It's the day after Valentine's Day, and our last episode was Keto Valentine's Day. Whether or not you stayed on the keto cart, I hope you had a happy Valentine's Day, celebrating love and friendship and togetherness and having some fun. And now it's the day afterward, and it might be time to either get back on the wagon or continue on with your fitness and your health goals. Our episode today is about two problems that get in the way of weight loss and solutions for those two problems. By the way, thank you for listening to the podcast. And I did want to mention that I am on iTunes and I would love to get a five-star review from you. I also want to mention that I am using Audacity now, working more on better sound quality. Somebody had left a review about uh, smacking. So on Audacity, when you use it, you literally are getting a graph of your voice and you can see those areas where little issues happen. And I'm learning to edit those out. And uh, I guess I want to say thank you for the feedback because if I don't get any feedback, I can't get any better. I'm also grateful for the questions that people ask. The questions that I get by email from my students, these are so important in making me a better coach and in helping people to improve their health. One thing I do want to say is that I'm a certified personal trainer. And so that means that Giving specific nutrition advice, creating specific meal plans for people, that's outside of my scope of practice. So the way I like to think about it is, I can't tell you what to eat, but I can certainly tell you what I eat. So when I talk about issues that I've dealt with in terms of nutrition, I'm sharing my personal experience. I am also sharing the experience that I've had with my students and my readers and my clients, but mainly... This is, this is for education and it's also for entertainment. I hope it's entertaining, but this is not specific advice on what you specifically should eat. For that, you need to talk to your doctor or a registered dietitian. More and more, we are discovering doctors are learning about low-carb approaches. Registered dietitians are learning about low-carb approaches to weight loss, um, dealing with diabetes type 2. And so more and more of medical practitioners are getting on board with what we're doing. But in the meantime, I want to be able to share my experience with food and with sugar addiction and with some food addictions. And in order to do that candidly and honestly, I need you to know that I am sharing my my personal experience and that you should always check with a doctor or RD before you make changes to your diet. So let's go ahead and dive in to this concept of the two problems that get in the way of weight loss. Problem number one, being hunger. Problem number two, being pain. So let's look at hunger first. One of the greatest difficulties that I experienced when I was put on my first diet by my pediatrician when I was eight years old was an immediate experience of being hungry all the time. I will never forget the day that he turned to me and he said, So, Kathy, how would you like to count calories? And being a people pleaser already, even at age eight, I said that, yes, I would. The problem was is that at the same time, and I'm not sure exactly why, whether they had done a blood test or something like that, the doctor had specifically said that I shouldn't eat as many eggs. And in the past, up until this point, I had done really, really well with having one or two soft-boiled eggs in the morning, get me off to school, get me going, and kept me hung. Sorry kept me full until lunchtime. And so it was like a perfect storm because 
I was asked to count calories. My most satisfying breakfast was eliminated from my eating plan. And it was replaced with um, with cereal, quite frankly. And I don't know if it was if we were already drinking skim milk at that time, but I do remember being really, really hungry and more hungry for lunch than I used to be, even to the point where I can remember, I don't know, that lunch was, it became impre- incredibly important in my mind. And so what happened was, and I think that this is the problem where hunger is the issue, is that my hunger literally made me think about food all the time. So it was my hunger that made me obsessed with food. So how are we going to lose weight? I mean, historically, and what we keep getting told is, is that if we reduce our intake, then our body will turn to stored body fat, correct? But the problem is, is that appetite is so strong. Appetite is subconscious, part of the autonomic body system, that even though our intention, our best intention, is to eat less, our drives for survival, our subconscious autonomic intentions are driving us to eat more. So what do we do? We have to be honest and accept the foods that satisfy and nourish us that we can eat and then get on with our day. I'm working with a client right now who is having wonderful success and but has gone on and off the ketogenic low sugar platform a couple of times and has discovered that when she takes back the sugar and the grains and even some fruits, the hunger comes back, the weight gain, weight gain comes back and that wonderful sense of peace around food disappears. So what we're looking for is peace, equanimity, poise around food. And one of the guys that I follow on Twitter actually put it this way, meh, right? That sense that, you know, I've had my breakfast, my lunch is coming, maybe my dinner is coming, I'm gonna get on, do other things, not worry about food so much. And in my experience, being the sugar freedom woman, low carbohydrate is what fills the bill in terms of being satisfying and helping me to think about life rather than constantly being thinking about hunger and food because it is hunger that drives that food obsession. And so what are those foods? Let's go ahead and break it down as simply as I can. And what I've discovered is um, I'm a petite person now and a lot of my clients are, you know, smaller women. I'm only 5'1". And what I have discovered is 90, 90, 20. 90 grams of protein, 90 grams of fat, 20 grams of carbohydrate. And of course, there's a little wiggle room there. Um, In general, I don't see a necessity to go below 1200 calories, even if you're only five foot one and at a relatively low weight. Of course, if you're on a weight loss diet, we assume that you're trying to achieve a healthy weight, that you're not going for scrawny. I really don't see a need to go below 1,200 calories unless, I mean, I suppose maybe if you're 410, but at any rate. So what I have used myself and what has worked for me, because remember, I can't tell you what to eat, what to eat but I will tell you what I eat, is between, for weight loss, between 1,250 and 1,350 calories. The simple truth is though, as long as I keep my carbohydrates to 20 grams or less a day, And if I get an appropriate amount of protein and not too much fat, but the right amount of fat, 
I find that my appetite and my hunger simply isn't an issue. I'll give you an example today. It's just about 12.15. I had my breakfast at about 6.15 this morning. So it's been six hours and I am not even hungry. Had a couple of cups of coffee with heavy cream. Here I am creating my podcast, not even worried, not even concerned about lunch. And then when I'm done with this, I'll go, I'll go back into the kitchen and I will prepare my meal. Simple. So the solution to hunger is to satisfy your appetite. And the solution that I use, if you're interested, is 90-90-20. So I'm balancing protein and fat. This is just what works for me. I would hope that you're going to find the equation that works for you and keeping those carbohydrates at 20 grams or lower. Before I went into and went through menopause, I hope I'm not oversharing, I was able to eat some more carbohydrate and still maintain or lose weight. Now I have found that it's 20 grams or less total, not, for example, I'm not subtracting fiber or anything like that, and then tends to work really well. Now let's go on, and I did really want to talk a little bit more today about the training and the exercise part of the equation. So if the equation that people started giving us and that I was given is calories in and calories out, the calories out part of the equation is exercise and your fitness activities. Now the greatest difficulty with that is that when we started to look at trying to use energy, even trying to waste energy, it was almost as if, I don't know, Martha Graham once said that that to waste movement um, can lead to decadence, correct? So if we're just going into the gym or getting on the treadmill or taking an exercise class just for the sake of wasting calories, what good is that really doing us? And how did we get to that point? How did we get to the point where we were just trying to keep moving, get into that aerobic and what was considered the fat burning zone? Where did that come from? And I'm holding in my hand aerobics by Kenneth H. Cooper, MD. And he published this back in 1969. And let me read you a little bit, something about um, his opinion on the exercise, actually, that I like to do best. And this is the second kind of exercise, not aerobic exercise. Here we go. Quote, an example of the second is any exercise that demands so much oxygen in so short a time that the heart and lungs can't possibly supply it, thus creating an oxygen debt that must be paid quickly. And the only way to pay it is to stop and recover. Wind sprints, interval training, the 100 yard dash, swimming and bicycle sprints all qualify. Exercises like these that rapidly create large oxygen debts are used during practice by competitive athletes to build up speed. They have no place in an ordinary physical fitness program." Unquote. So there you have it. These are the exercises that I absolutely thrive on. And when I started doing these exercises in place of moderate intensity, steady state exercise, which is what Dr. Cooper recommended, this is when I was no longer experiencing pain. I wasn't experiencing the pain and the boredom and the frustration of cardiovascular exercise. And I do think about the timing. Back when I was eight years old, so I was born in 64, So I was put on my first diet in 1972, and this, that would be the period when Dr. Cooper's program aerobics got really, really popular. So I was put on a low fat diet and the swim team, and I was hungry and I was in pain 
and I was embarrassed and I was miserable because I was such a poor endurance swimmer. And actually the coach ignored me because I was so bad, nobody ever taught me any technique. So there I am crying about my experience with swim team, but there you have it. We went for, my mom put me on the swim team, tried to help me to eat less and to move more, and it backfired. I ended up hungry, in pain, frustrated, and tired. So what are we going to do instead? I want you to discover the kinds of fitness that work well for you and that make you energized and that you enjoy. One of the things that I want you to try is to give yourself permission to enjoy your fitness practice and to give yourself permission to rest. Any activity that you're doing, if it gets too tiring, if it gets too boring, if it's too much of a grind, go ahead, rest, change, and do something else. I want to talk about four elements of training. And this is I, in my latest magazine from the American Council on Exercise. I read a wonderful article about exercise program can restore heart muscle health. Talking about restoring flexibility to the heart muscle, literally reversing the stiffening that can develop from lack of physical activity. So this is the prescription and the formula for bringing that heart back into health. And here it is, one 30 minute high intensity interval training session, such as a four by four, that includes a four minute cardiovascular interval followed by three minutes of recovery repeated four times. Now I might tweak that a little bit and I'll tell you about that in a little bit. One low intensity recovery session, on the day after the hit session. So that might be uh, yoga or a gentle swim or a gentle bike, gardening. One hour moderate intensity session, such as tennis, aerobic dancing, walking, or biking. Now, I'm gonna admit to you right here that this is not my favorite. I do not enjoy 60 hour aerobic classes, 60 hour swims, biking, where anybody is pushing me. So what I will say is that you want to do something like a Zumba class or a bar class or a spin class, just give yourself permission to rest when you want to rest, okay? And then one or two weekly strength training sessions using weights or exercise machines on separate days from or after the endurance sessions. Wow, this is exactly what I recommend. I love this. This is this four-part fitness. You've got your interval training, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Tabata training in just a minute. You've got your interval training. You've got recovery you have some aerobics if you're into that. And then you also have another favorite of mine, which is resistance training or weightlifting. And there you go. And we talk about the results is that what you get is a youthening of the heart, prevention of the stiffening that uh, is one of, the, one of the issues that we have in aging. Pretty fabulous, right? So let's talk about one thing I wanted to share with you today is so what would those interval sessions look like? The ones that I prefer are Tabata sessions. And the classic Tabata is 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest for eight rounds. And the way that I do it in my classes is we'll come in and we'll do, we'll do a warm up, just uh, activating the joints, and then we'll do a Tabata session. Then we'll do our resistance, another Tabata session, and then our cool down and we're finished because most of my students only see me once or twice a week. So we're trying to cover all of the bases, get that total fitness in. However, if you're doing your intervals on your own, I would suggest doing that Tabata session. You could do as few as one, or you could do a couple during the day, 
Or if you wanted to make it a more intense session, you could do two sets of Tabatas within your session. All right, so I like to use a kettlebell and here's a sample. So your session could be, your exercises would be kettlebell swings, diagonal overhead press, kettlebell rows, and then back to swings. So here's how you would break it up. You would swing and then rest, diagonal press, and then rest, rows, and then rest, and then swing again, and rest, getting in two full rounds. And this is a really wonderful way to get that intensity, so good for your heart, for your flexibility. And this kind of training, it's going to energize you, it's gonna make you stronger, it's going to actually give you more endurance for the things you need endurance for, but in my opinion and my experience, it's not going to make you tired and hungry or put you into a situation where you're in pain. So there it is for today. The two problems that we find in weight loss, two problems being hunger and pain and managing hunger by being sure that we're eating satisfying foods and then managing the exercise equation by giving ourselves permission and realizing that we don't have to go into pain and fatigue. And we can do that by using interval training, which allows us to rest when we need to. Before I wrap up this podcast, though, I do want to go back a little bit to the hunger and reminding everyone that my experience has been that sugar and grains actually make me hungrier than I was before I started eating them. And this is due to the action of insulin and ghrelin and the other, the other hormones that are released and triggered when we eat sugar and grains. So it's not just about, it's not just about that you eat sugar and then your blood sugar rises and then insulin comes in and then your blood sugar goes down too low. In my opinion and in my research, we see that it, the insulin itself can be causing some of the fatigue that you're experiencing. So the hunger, it isn't just about eating satisfying foods, it's also about eliminating the foods that either are triggers or that stimulate the appetite and make us hungry. Next week, I'm gonna come back and talk about different lists of my favorite carbohydrates, the vegetables that grow above the ground and the amounts that you can eat them in that are less than five grams per, per one cup serving. Also, I'm gonna come back and talk about some of the appetite and hunger-causing hormones. There's one more thing that I wanted to share with you and I do share, uh, I do share a book every week and we talked about aerobics, but one of the books that I would like to share with you this week and that I am reading right now is called The Body Keeps the Score. And this book is pretty intense. It's by Bessel van der Kolk, MD, and who is um, a psychiatrist who has dealt with trauma and its effect on the body. And more than that, the way out of recovery from trauma through the body. So I'm going to keep reading that. If you're interested in getting that, once again, it's called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And that is by Bessel van der Kolk, MD. And I will, of course, put that link and put that in the notes. That's what I'm reading right now. And you might want to pick it up and read along and discover about the effect of trauma on the body. And I do know that for me, that some of the traumas that I experienced 
early loss of a parent as a child definitely led to my issues with overeating, overeating and binge eating. And I think that as we examine these issues and get a better understanding of why they happen, we have a better understanding of how they can be healed. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I am Katherine Gordon, the author of Sugar Freedom. I will be back next Friday with another Freedom Friday. And I hope that you will find the foods that satisfy you and the exercise that you enjoy and that you'll find a way to take good care of yourself every day. Talk soon. Bye-bye, everybody.